0: Being sanctified from the power of sin as we spend time in the word fellowship and serve the Lord. Uh, then there's a the future t- sanctification. Well, what did they be set apart from the presence of sin? Uh, sanctified means set apart. And the Bible says that's the will of God. Then the second thing uh, he mentions is uh, purity, sexual purity. Let me just say this, and then I'm finished, only because I need to say it, not because you're here, but because, you know, it just needs to be said all the time. Any any sexual relationship outside of the marriage bed of a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, is fornication. I don't care if it's just walking down the wrong aisle and lingering at the magazine rack so you can see dirty pictures. Fornication is just the word. It's the word porneto. We get our word pornography from it. And it's any sexual impurity, period. It's the will of God that you be sanctified. It's the will of God that you be pure. And then, uh, this is the one I want to camp on. It's the will of God that every one of you, that wouldn't include all of us, every one of you should know how there's a knowledge involved. There's a method involved. There's a teaching involved. There's a learning involved. An education should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification of honor. and honor. When I first noticed that verse this was a long time ago, I looked it up in different study Bibles just to see what these Rari and these other guys said about it. And uh, some otherwise good study Bible said they think the vessel refers to the wife of the husband. Well, you know, that sounds good, and that's probably a good application. But there's not a drop of marriage anywhere in that chapter. There's not a drop of marriage anywhere in that book. So the law of context tells me that's not true. What is the vessel? Well, we discussed this yesterday. Let let me just do it sort of in outline form again. Man is a trichotomy. So what does that mean? I don't know. It's something about a Chinese restaurant. Uh, man is a trichotomy. That means man is made up of three parts. Now, body, soul, and spirit. Now, when we mention those three parts, we always say body, soul, and spirit. When God mentions them, he always says spirit, soul, and body. God always starts on the inside where he lives and works out to the outside where we live. In First Thessalonians, uh, what is it? Five twenty-three. It says, uh, "I pray God." Got my glasses focused. Then five thirty-two. He said, "I pray God that your whole spirit, and soul, and body be preserved blameless until the day of Christ." Spirit, soul, and body—three parts. Now, some people make the soul and the spirit the same thing, and the reason is. Sometimes the Bible speaks of them as though they are overlapping. They're certainly, the Bible does say they're connected. And so they might share some, you know, semblance of activity or why they're reason. Uh But the truth is there are three parts, spirit and soul and body. And I said God always starts on the inside. Uh, if you go back to when uh, God gave Moses instruction for the building of the tabernacle, First, he gave instruction on the furniture, and he started with the altar in the holy of holies, and he worked to the outside. When he started, when he gave instruction for the building, he started with the holy of holies, and then the curtain and the veil and all of that, and then he worked to the outer court. God always starts on the inside where He lives, and works to the outside where we live, and He does that there. Now we usually say. Body, soul, and spirit. Because of our point of reference, starts at the outside. For that reason only, that's the way we're going to do it <laughs> this morning. Body, soul, and spirit. The body is the physical part. Obviously, it's the part we stuff. <laughs> we had the last last night and this morning. Anyway, <laughs> it was some tremendous food. Uh, it, it's, the, it's the the body is the part with which. We relate and communicate with others. I can't communicate with you with my soul. I have to have a body to do it. I can't communicate with you with my spirit. I have to have a body to do, uh, through which to do it. We communicate with others. The body is the shell. It's like, uh, you know, a guy at a funeral. He's trying to comfort the mourners. And Joel, who's died is was a christian and he was comforting the mortars and saying folks there's something you don't understand this is this is not joe this is just the shell the nut has gone to be with the lord <laughs> i'm not sure that's the right thing to say at a funeral but it's like that like the fellow who his name was peas mr peas p-e-a-s his initials were J-J. and he died they put the epitaph on his tombstone here lies the body of J.J. Pease. It's not the peas. It's just the pot. The peas gone home to be with God. <laughs> the body is nothing more than a shell. You are not a body. You live in one. You are not one. Body just So, so to march forward and to see uh, to see on, on the inside of the casket uh, going home. No, they're already home. Uh, you know, oh, so and so is laid out at the funeral. No, he's not. His body is, that's all. It's like, when you It's like, you just take your coat off, that's all. You leave behind the temporal, uh, and you go to heaven if you're saved, hell if you're not. Well, the body, The body is the external part. It's the only part that is the material part. That's the body. The Bible says a lot about the body. Then there's the soul. The soul is inside the body. It's the immaterial part. The soul is the real you. Genesis 1.27. Two, I'm sorry, Genesis 2.7. God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. We've got to get beyond this idea. And I know because everything in our world is physical, it might be difficult. Well, we've got to get beyond the idea that I'm a body and I have a soul. You're not. You're a soul. You live in a body. That's all. Now the soul is the seed of emotions, affections, and the will. We sometimes, and it might, it, it might not reign true all the time, but sometimes we refer to the soul calling it the heart. When we say to a child, invite Jesus into your heart. We don't mean, you know, that Valentine-shaped thing in the left cavity of your chest that pumps blood. We mean into your Emotions, your affections, your will into yourself. Um, I, I, I'm not saying it's wrong to say that to explain to a child how to receive Christ, but I am saying this. Uh, the, the soul is a seat of emotions. Jesus said in Mark 13, 24 in the Garden of Gethsemane, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Now, I didn't say my spirit is sorrowful, I said my soul is. Sorrow is an emotion. The soul is the seed of emotions. The soul is also the, the seed of affection. You know, we talk we, about, we, we talk about, um, uh, we talk about um, I love you with all of my heart. We mean soul. The, the seed of affection. The soul is also the, the seed of the will. It says that Daniel purposed in his heart. Purposed the will. The soul is primarily it's you. It's the real you. It's the seat of emotions, affections, and the will. Now, the body is the part we relate to others with. The soul is the—it's the, the self consciousness. It's the part we relate to self with. I don't usually stand in front of the mirror and talk to myself, unless I happen to nick myself with the razor in the morning. <laughs> Other than that, I don't. But I, I, I often drive down the road and talk to myself without, without moving my lips. The soul. It's the self-consciousness. Then inside the soul, the deepest part of man. The Bible always talks about your, your spirit being inside of you, inside of your soul, uh, is, is the spirit. Now the spirit is the capability or at least possesses the capability to know and understand. 1 Corinthians 2.11 What man knows the things of man save the spirit of man which is in him. So the spirit has a capability to know. The spirit has a capability to understand. Job two eight. God gives the spirit of man understanding. Now we would call that and it may not may not be an accurate label, but we would call that the mind, the, the ability to know and understand. That's the part that's dead to God before you're saved. It's not dead, but it's dead to God. I mean, people outside, you know, people who have never been saved, they've got a mind. <laughs> About lost it, most of them. <laughs> they've got a mind, They just but it's dead to God. They don't understand God. Uh, that's the part that's resurrected. To God, when you get saved, you have a resurrected, quickened, made alive, who were dead in sins and trespasses. Ephesians 2 1. Now, the body is a part we relate to others with, communicate with others. The soul is the self consciousness, the part, the real you, the part we relate to self with. The spirit is the part we communicate with God with. When the Bible says God lives in your body, the Holy Spirit moves in. That's true. But where does he live? In your fingers? In your toes? You know? Where does he live? In your overhang? Uh-huh. Well, if you cut somebody's finger off, does that mean part of God? You know, silly arguments, silly but people ask those questions. God lives in your spirit. Your spirit happens to be in your soul, which is in your body. So God lives in your body. Um, now, I said all that to lay a foundation. The body in which you live is your vessel. Everywhere you go, it's the instrument that carries you around. And if you do anything at all, you're going to do it in your body. If you don't believe me, try to get out of your body and write a letter and get back in again. It just doesn't work that way. Now, Paul said, then, with that in mind, it's the will of God that every one of us should know how to possess our body in sanctification and honor. However, what's he talking about? Self-discipline. The word possess does not mean abide there. Does not mean own. The word possess means to to conquer, to manage, to control. Those three words. Conquer, manage, control. When when God came to Moses and instructed him to take the children of Israel up to the promised land, and then Joshua to take them into the promised land, he told them, go in and possess the land. What you're saying, be there. What you're saying, you know... Sign a lien and own it. Get a mortgage on it. He was saying, you go in there and you conquer it and control it and manage it. Well, that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. Paul said that it's the will of God that you and I should know how to conquer the appetites of the flesh, the body. I'm not just talking about evil appetites. I'm talking about good appetites. So, will of God we know how to conquer, you know, and control and manage our bodies, our vessels. Everybody in this room, you're either ruled by the senses of your body, physical, the physical, and that's bad, that's bad. That always leads to evil. Or you're ruled by what your soul says to do, your emotions, you know. How many times have you heard? Why well, just follow your heart? Well, <clears throat> that's not good advice. Right? The Bible says, "You know, there's only one thing more deceitful than the devil himself. It's your heart." Jeremiah 17:9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Now, the thing of Christian character is is not allowing your body to control you. Not even allowing your emotions and affections. You can love the wrong thing to control you. The key is you let what you know and understand in your spirit, what you know and understand to be right, let that control you. That's character. We do it because it's right and for no other reason. Well, I don't want to. Well, I don't, you know. Man alive! Everybody in the world is controlled by somebody else, or by their appetites of their flesh. And the your body is to be your servant, not your boss. Even your heart, your affections, your emotions, etc., uh, are to be your servant, not your boss. The boss ought to be what you know and understand to be right. Your spirit, in your spirit. Now, how do I do that? As a, as a Christian man, as a spiritual man or one who wants to be spiritual, how do I get to the point? Well, let me say, you'll never get to it until you, until you get to heaven, uh, until you shed this whole body. But how do, I, how do I grow in my Christian experience to the point where I conquer, manage, and control this vessel and make it do right? Well... I think there's some some pretty simple instruction. Number one. Here we go. One, two, three. One, two, four in this case. Uh, number one. Realize that the Holy Spirit lives in you. You know, you know we say we believe that, but, but we live as though we don't. Realize that when you got saved, God the Father... God the Son and God the Holy Spirit loaded their furniture up in a U-Haul truck, backed it up to the garage end of your soul, unloaded lock, stock, and barrel, and moved in as permanent resident. God is not a silent listener to your conversations. He's not a guest at your house or mid table. He happens to be permanent resident. If we really believe, that God lives in me. I would say, if these folks who, who dress pretty lewdly, even in the church, believed that, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have any choice. I wouldn't have any problem making choices at, at the closet when it comes down to get dressed. not a problem at all. The same goes with habits. The same goes with, you know, things we say or should not say. Uh, just be constantly be aware of the fact that God unapproachably holy God lives inside of me 1 Corinthians 6 19-20 Paul said what Paul often said that didn't he he dealt with some folks that he had to repeat like what Jesus did too what don't you know know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you and you have of God, and you're not your own. The Bible says in Romans chapter eight and verse nine, "If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is not of His." If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. And if you're not saved, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Say the other way. Well, realize the Holy Spirit lives in you. When I pastored in uh, LaFayette, Georgia, when I was in Bible college, we had uh, we had uh, a lady in our church. Her name was Mrs. Voiles. She was a sweet lady, sweet lady. We picked her up. She was as poor as Job's turkey. She was poor. She lived in house, a house you could see her from outside the house through the cracks between the wood. Uh, way out, way out, I'm talking about hillbilly, hick country, you know. And she uh, she was just sweet. She came, She was there every service, but she was as tough as nails. She was raised that way. And uh, we went to her house to visit her. The only thing. Food she kept in her house was cornflakes. She had, she had, there in her kitchen, I counted, I forgot how many, it was, it was over 30 boxes of cornflakes. That's all she ate. That's all she could afford. And uh, and she was tough. She was tough. Mrs. Boyles, if you were standing on one side of her, she could not hear you. If you stand on the other side, she could hear you. Or she had to be looking at you where she could connect the sound with the movement of your lips. And she explained to us one day, she said, Pastor, the reason, that I'm like, she was about oh, 65, I think, close to 70. She said, when I was a child, I got in a rock fight with some friends. And she said, a pebble went down inside one of them. I couldn't get it out. And the more I dug the farther, it went. And she said, I never got it out. It's still in there. Talk about how a Baptist with rocks in her head. <laughs> Uh, and she said, so I can't hear out that side. I can hear only out of this side. Well, Mrs. Boyles was an obvious smoker. I mean, she had yellow all over her fingers, stains on her teeth, you know, the smell on her breath and her clothes. As her pastor, I didn't hate her because she smoked. I loved her just as much. I might have loved her more. because so I wanted to help her. I felt sorry for her. But Mrs. Boyles had to go in the hospital one day. And she went in the um, I believe it was Fort Oglethorpe, uh, uh, it's a county hospital, Tri County hospital. And uh, she had to have some kidney surgery, I forget exactly what. And uh, I went in the hospital. Back in the day, back in the, in the day when you could smoke in the hospital, and hospital rooms weren't in the one bed per room, it was wards, and all the floors were tile. And you, you know, if you've ever been, been in a hospital, have had to wear one of them hospital gowns? They, they don't go all the way around. Uh, she was, uh, I found out the ward she was in, and I went down to the door, and as I moved the door open, Mrs. Walls was sitting on the edge of her bed facing the other way. And she she was sitting there smoking a cigarette. And she had, she, had, she would douse she it like that on her hand. And she didn't hear me when I came in. But when I got in far enough where she could see me out of the corner of her eye, She took that cigarette, she threw it on the floor, and she put her bare foot on it to put it out. Now, I thank God that Mrs. Boyle's had the respect for her pastor. She wouldn't smoke in front of her pastor, but she knew that I knew she smoked. On another occasion, she was in the hospital. She'd had um, plastic straws put in her veins and her legs. And uh, my wife and I both went in, and she was sitting there, sitting in her bed with a canopy over her, recently operated on legs, and she had an ashtray full of cigarette butts, so she's smoking. So she saw us. She lifted the sheet and put the ashtray underneath and put the sheet down. She didn't want to offend us. And uh, she said, what did you do, preacher? I stood at the foot of her bed, and I visited with her for about ten minutes, and then I lifted the sheet and sent up smoke signals. <laughs> now, the fact of the matter is, do you know what Mrs. Boyles, I, I, I'm thankful that she respected her pastor that much. But do you know what Mrs. Ball's real problem is? She wouldn't smoke in front of me. But every time she lit up a cigarette, she was inhaling smoke into the temple of the Holy Spirit. Her problem was, she didn't. She wasn't living under the awareness that her body was the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, it'll change a lot of places you go. It'll change a lot of places. If you if you get to the point where you just realize God, the Holy Spirit, lives in there. I mean, that's not a doctrine, uh, although it is. It's not a, just a system of theology. It happens to be reality. God, the creator of heaven and earth, God in the person of the Holy Spirit lives inside of here. Now, if you and I are ever going to get to the point where we... Uh, where we learn to let our spirit be the boss of our body, not our soul, not our body, let our spirit be the boss what we know and understand to be right. We first got to come to the full realization that God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of me. That'd change a lot. That'd, make a lot. that'd change a lot. Secondly, realize the Holy Spirit lives in you. And then secondly, let your spirit be the boss Don't let your body be the boss. Don't even let your soul be the boss. The soul remembers the seat of emotions, affections, and the will. Your emotions can be wrong very easily. You can't divorce emotions from anything. But if you let your emotions run you, you'll end up charismatic or like a charismatic. Your emotions can be wrong. Your affections can be wrong. You can love the wrong thing. You can love the wrong person. Don't let your don't let your will be the boss. Not the final boss. Because your will can be wrong. Your choices can be wrong. That's what sin is, really. It's wrong choices. Let, your, let what you know and understand, your, your spirit. Let your spirit, what, your, what you know and understand in your spirit to be right. Let that be the boss. Not your body. Not sure. Now, everybody in here is either body controlled, soul controlled. Body control is very bad. Soul control can be very bad, or spirit control. Controlled by what you know and understand to be the will of God. Uh, turn to First Corinthians chapter nine. Let's take a quick look at this verse. <laughs> I've never done anything quick in my life. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul often likens the Christian life to a physical contest, a war, or a fight. He talks about being pinned or down, but not out. Uh, A boxing match, he talks about shadow boxing or sparring. Uh, And here, he he, he likens the Christian life to and discipline in the Christian life to being um, in an athletic contest. And he said in verse 27, but I keep under my body. Now, let me stop there for a moment. He's not saying I get out of my body and get under it, obviously. This is old English. Reverse the words keep under. Uh, excuse me. Uh, reverse, the, well, yeah, reverse them a little bit. Paul is saying I keep my body under. That's a wrestling term. I pin it. I control it. And I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now here's what he's saying. The word subjection is a, is a word that, it's a two-part word. Part of it means the, the part of the face right here under the eye, the cheekbone. And the other part means to smite, with a, to buffet with a closed fist. Literally. What he's saying is, I give my body a black eye. Obviously, he's not saying I walk around punching myself. There's a sanctity about the human body, the Bible teaches. It's not an aesthetic. What he is saying is, I force my body. I force my body to come under control. That well, preacher, how do you just jump out of bed at four, 5 in the morning? I don't. I say, right leg, move. My right leg says, I moved first yesterday. Well, that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about discipline, discipline, not being unreasonable, not mistreating your body, but controlling it, controlling the appetites, controlling the emotions, controlling the affections, controlling the will. Uh, and he said, he said, here, I... Uh, that his constant struggle in life. Hey, read Romans seven fourteen to 25. Things I want to do, I just can't seem to bring myself to do. The Things I should do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, that's what I... Well, thankfully, he got to verse 25 finally that said, uh, uh, the, where he said, uh, Who shall deliver me from the, this body of death? And then he said, I'll oh, thank God through Jesus Christ. He got the victory. But he's talking about the discipline, the the that's required. You know, we said we say we we'll send kids off to uh, off to join the Marine Corps. You know. The boy comes up to daddy and says, How do I want to join the Marine Corps. Tired of you telling me when to get up, when to go to bed, what to do, and when to shine my shoes. That's like jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. But you know, there's a discipline in the Christian life. The world calls itself self discipline. We would more correctly call it character. Uh, and, the, and it's the character of making yourself do right when yourself doesn't want to do right. Well, preacher, I, man, I'm tired today. I I stayed up all night and watched the boob too. I don't want to get up this morning and read my Bible and pray before I go out in the world. What do you do, get your lazy carcass up and do it anyhow because it's right. Well, preacher, i am Man, I I I just don't feel like going soul winning. I know a soul winning, but I don't feel. Where does the Bible say do it if it feels good? It doesn't. I had a guy in our church when I pastored in Hamburg, PA. He was there every time the doors were open, and a lot of times when I, when when they weren't. And uh, he was always there for soul winning, always, always. Don Reiner was always there. One day, I'd, one Thursday afternoon, I'd been out visiting. I walked into my house, and the phone rang. And I ha- answered it, and it was Don. And I said, "Preacher, I'm, I'm not going to go sewing today. Not anybody else. I would say, okay, thanks for calling. See you on the next go round. But not Don. Don was always there. And uh, so I said, Don, why not? Well, he said, I had a bad, a bad day work today, and he said, I'm, I'm just. Physically, I'm worn out. I need to rest. And he said, "If I went, I'd, I, 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 he said, I, I, I've had a bad spirit about me. Said, I'd, I'd go for the wrong reason." And I said, "Don, may I ask you question. Is it what's what's better, one sin or two? He said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, is it better to do the right thing with the wrong reason, or to do the wrong thing because you got the wrong reason?" One sin is better than two. It's not as bad as two. Well, Don showed up that night. By the way, and led three people to Christ that night out on a visitation. Now, what I'm saying is this: uh, you don't make decisions in life based on how you feel. Character, self-discipline, character makes decisions based on what you know and understand to be the right thing, regardless of how it feels or how difficult it is. So let your spirit be the boss of your body. Don't let your body be the boss. Don't let your soul be the boss. Bring both of them under subjection to what you know and understand to be the will of God. Then step number three, present your body to God. Romans 12.1, you know the verse. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. And then he called that reasonable service. If sacrifice is reasonable service, that not telling me anything less than sacrifice. It's unreasonable service. I'm saying, you know, there ought to be a time in the life of every Christian, especially Christian men, Christian leaders, there should be a, life, a time in the life of every Christian equally as dramatic, equally as emotional, equally as memorable as your salvation experience. Where once and for all I'm not talking about every day, that's first John one nine, that's rededication. I'm talking about once and for all, an initial once and for all. Where you find an altar and lay on it somewhere, home somewhere, church somewhere, and you say, Dear God, sink or swim, you know, healthy or sick, fat or skinny, rich or poor, That makes no difference to me. From the crown of my head to the soles of my feet, I'm yours. You get the maximum out of me. And hand the keys of your life to him. You don't even own the keys to the doors in your heart and in your life anymore. And I, Now there will come times when you'll have to redo that every day. And I'm, but I'm talking about a once and for all time. And you'll notice that if you'll study that in verse 1 of Romans 12, the word present is in the once and for all. It's in the past. Completed action with present continuous results. That's not rededication, that verse. First John 1 9 is rededication. That's dedication. There should be a time in the life of every Christian when you, like I say, when I was 10 years old, a godly Sunday school teacher took this little boy, hearty heart, I'd never been little, <laughs> took me into his home and opened the Bible and showed me one sentence. Just one. John three sixteen. And he told me the greatest love story I've ever heard, before or since. And like I got saved. It wasn't until I was 16 years old, preacher, six years later that I went down an island, took the preacher's hand and knelt at the altar and gave myself. I mean, I did. I, you know, for six years I used him as a fire escape. But, I, but then I gave my the best I knew how. And uh I guarantee you, I got the better end of that bargain uh, than God did. The truth of the matter is, I'm saying, there should be that time in your life. That's what he's talking about in Romans 12.1, where you give your body to God. You gave him your heart. You gave him your soul when you got saved. I gave him your body. When you got saved, your soul got saved. Your body didn't. Your body don't got saved until the rapture. We're waiting for the redemption of the body. Romans seven says. So there should be a time you you want to learn how to possess, control, conquer, manage that vessel, then uh, realize the Holy Spirit lives in you. Let your spirit be the boss of your body. Um, present your body to God, and then lastly, determine to glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. When you got to go to the. If they got dressed, you should ask the Lord. At least be sensitive to the leadership, Lord. What should I wear today? No, Lord, what, I mean, every act, everything we do, should be nothing more than a response to our consideration of the will of God. Uh, glorify. Doesn't the Bible say that we're to glorify God in all things? First Corinthians ten thirty one. Whether therefore you eat or you drink. Do all to the glory of God. Would you agree with me then that we're supposed to glorify God in everything? But, but you know, there's only two things in the Bible. There are only two things in the Bible that are named and where it says this glorifies God. Only two. Two things. That's all. Two things. The first one is Psalm 50, verse 23, where God said, Whoso offers praise, Glorifies me. Praise glorifies God. I don't specify their outward praise, inward praise, quiet praise, loud praise, public praise, private praise. He simply says, Whoso offers praise glorifies me. Praise glorifies God. The second thing is found in John 15 and verse 8, where Jesus said, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. Now, wait a minute. You're not talking about the fruit of the Spirit. That's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Uh, if you're saved, you have those things. The Holy there, there. And as you allow the Holy Spirit to live Christ's life through you, you'll exemplify those things. But well, those are his fruit. Jesus said, this, my Father is glorified when you bear much fruit. What does that mean? Well, you know, it's pretty simple. Uh, what's the fruit of an apple tree? Well oh, say it. Won't hurt. Apples. What's the fruit of a peach tree? Peaches. We talked about coconut pie last night. What's the fruit of a coconut tree? Don't say evangelist. Coconuts. What's the fruit of a Christian? Another Christian. Isn't that what soul winning is? Proverbs eleven thirty, the only place where it's called soul winning. He that the fruit of the righteous is a tree, not a piece of fruit. A tree of life. What is a tree of life? That's a living tree. What does a living tree do? It bears its own fruit. In other words, according to that verse, and the rest of the verse says, He that one of souls is life. If I go knock on this man's door and win him to the Lord, God to start a case. And, and he got saved. Then I run to this brother and say, Hey, Brother Harold, I'm a soul winner. No, no, no. That's not. I'm not a soul a Soul winner isn't somebody who just leads somebody else to the Lord. A soul, according to that verse, When I lead him to the Lord, and then I get him out bearing his own fruit, leading people to the Lord, then I'm a soul winner. Proverbs 11.30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree that bears his own fruit, and he that winters souls is wise. Soul winning doesn't stop with getting a decision. Soul winning goes right on through until you get that convert baptized, and and he's out doing what you were doing when you won him. That's the biblical definition of soul winning. Uh, soul winning is disciple making, That, if you take the whole picture. Now, wait a minute. God said the only two things in his word that are named where he said, this glorifies me, naming the activity, praise, Psalm 50, verse 23, soul winning. Here it is my father glorified that ye bear much fruit. How many people in an excuse not to be a soul winner? Say, well, my only desire is to glorify the Lord. Well, that sounds pretty pious, doesn't it? <laughs> Once you want to glorify the Lord, then do what glorifies Him. I mean, have a heart of praise, and so win. Win others to Christ. Now, if you and I are going to be the men we ought to be, we've got to get past the world's philosophy, we've got to get beyond their level. We've got to, we've got to get to the point where we are, where we are controlling our body. I mean, everything you do in this life, you're going to do it in your body. You're not going to get out of it, and your body. Leave it behind to do anything. You're going to do it in your body. So, this is the will of God that you know how to possess, conquer, manage, control that body in sanctification and. In honor. That's not honoring to you. That's honoring to him. This one of them sermons, you know. Some most sermons are supposed to have a kind of a smooth, length. not this one. My, some of my sermons are like helicopter. You know, you just look for a bare spot and <laughs> drop her down. And then that's what we're going to do here. Character. That's character. Character is what the world calls self-discipline. It's yielding to the Holy Spirit and letting him live his life, the Christ life, through us. And, and our part of that is learning how to possess that vessel in a manner that honors, sanctified honors him. Heavenly Father, I pray thy blessing on what we've discussed this morning. I pray, O oh God, that you'd give us the determination, help us to determine like never before to, uh, to possess, conquer, manage, control uh, our bodies by what we know and understand to be your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Preacher.
1: Yeah, I what Brother Tully was preaching on that and about the fact that Paul brought his body under subjection. Most men uh, have a manhood of some sort. And the theme for our our thing here is restoring spiritual manhood. Uh, a lot of people are, a lot of men are chivalrous maybe towards women and their families. They feel like they ought to work and support their families and there's a lot of pride of in that. That hey, we need to be men, but we forsake sometimes the spiritual side of manhood. And boy, that hit the target this morning. I don't know about you. I, that was I, that was encouraging to me. I, uh, I was thinking of uh, Francis Marion, uh, who was known as the Swamp Fox back in the War for Independence. And uh, they had uh, caught some prisoners from the British, and the British had captured some of his men, and they were doing a prisoner exchange. And so he brought one of the commanders off of one of the ships, and they brought him to his camp, and they were at Francis Marion's camp, and they were Discussing the the terms and they decided on the terms of prisoner exchange And Francis Marion being a gentleman all offered to uh, have the commander stay for dinner in his camp The best they had in the camp were a couple wild potatoes. They found uh, Dug them up and they roasted them in the fire and he set one before the commander and, and then he he had one and they were eating and the commander did the best he could to choke down this dry roasted potato. And he said, do you not have any kind of herbs or seasoning or anything? He said, this is just, so I don't mean to be a rude guest, but uh, he said, I, I, I just can't bear myself to eat this. And he couldn't eat the potato. And he looked around the camp and he said, you must pay your men very well to get them to fight the way that they do. And uh, he said, my men on the ship are on half rations and they eat better than this. And he said, they're deserting every day. He said, I don't know how you do it. And Francis Marion said, we don't pay our men at all. And the commander was puzzled by that. And he said, how do you get them to fight then? And Francis Marion said this. He said, it is the heart. That is all. If a man is interested, he will do or suffer anything. A lot of men are willing to suffer and be inconvenienced for something they're interested in. And sad to say, as the world has progressed, or digressed, I guess we should say, men have allowed the things that they're interested in to digress with the world. And we're willing to be inconvenienced for the things that we're interested in. But we need to have a restoration of saying, you know what, I'm going to bring my body under subjection for the right things, for the cause of Christ. I told teenagers years ago, I was teaching some of them, and a lot of them had been raised in families where their parents allowed them to do things that were contrary to what the Bible taught. And uh, I-, I told them this. I said, you know, we need to get to a point as teenagers especially and growing up to be adults that we live our lives based on what the principles of God's word says, not by what we're allowed to do by society.